today we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn there. This study is a really awesome study about life, about a lifetime, about a better life, about human life. Any of you guys ever play that game, the game of life? I'm just curious. That's kind of a cool study. We used to play a game we used to play with our family. Um, but life is not a game. I, I will say this, that life, there has to be an aim in life. Solomon was old now. You know, I believe that when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he's an older guy. And I believe, unfortunately, that he made a lot of mistakes along the way. He had a thousand wives. He had money, uh, so much that going for him that he unfortunately did not finish well. And so when you kind of read the book of Ecclesiastes, you're going to be like, some things are like, wow, that's so rich. I mean, this guy has so much wisdom and experience and the spirit. And then other times you're like, whoa, where did that come from? And what was he thinking there? That's to be expected whenever you're talking to anyone who has half a heart. Some things are probably going to be spot on. Other things, you know, you have to take the whole Bible in context, you know, so uh, Solomon, uh, just been reading a lot about this guy's life. He, he was an amazing man. But one of the distinctions between Solomon and David is that Solomon didn't really have any trials. I mean, Solomon had everything handed to him on a silver platter. Life was just so easy in one sense for him, in, in one sense. And so when you go through those trials like David did, Man, I, I do encourage you to do what James said, count it all joy, knowing that the, the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. It, it kind of brings us to that place of a rich commitment to Christ. The other day, Pastor Dale did an amazing study uh, Wednesday night at Chapel, Chapel Golden Springs in Psalm 73, and he was just talking about how, you know, when you go through those trials, how God will use those trials to keep you on track. So which would you rather be, a millionaire who falls away or someone who's living paycheck to paycheck, but they're right on with God? You know, I know it's not always just those two options. All I'm saying is that I want whatever I need, even if it means trials like David went through, in order to keep me in right relationship with him. And so Solomon probably didn't have a lot of that, but then you'll see some of the things he did suffer with. And so, um, so Ecclesiastes 3, we begin in verse 1. And I, you got to read this whole thing and then kind of come back because look what he says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, uh, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. To everything, there is a season. To 
everything, not just some things, but to everything, there's a season, there's a, a set time in God's calendar, there's a purpose under heaven, you know? And, and I would even go so far as to say that there's something about that saying that says timing is everything. You know, I think about my wife and I, and I know I've told some of you guys that story before, but, you know, we went to the same high school and uh, supposedly we passed each other in the hallway and she was on the same bus when I was on the wrestling team. And, you know, she said she even cheered for me, but for whatever reason, we never hooked up. We never got together. When I was in high school, it wasn't until after I graduated. So we were in the same high school for two years. Why didn't we get together then? I've always thought, you know, when I look back at her pictures, while she's very attractive, and the simple answer is it's always a matter of timing, right? It's just timing. When the time was right, you know, God allowed us to to get together. And so for us, we have to know to everything there's a season, there's a time, there's timing for every purpose. There's a span. You know, one of the things about God is that he's never late, neither is he ever early. He's always right on time. And so reading that, there is an implication for us to yield to God's timing. You know, to look for God's timing, to, to be patient. Sometimes we need to wait, you know, on the Lord and not go ahead of Him. Sometimes we need to go. It's all a matter of timing. We have to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like avocados, right? You get some avocados from the store, you have to wait for them to get ripe, right? And then you grub. But if you don't grub, then what happens to them? They go bad, and then they're black inside, and you're like, oh man, I blew it because those things are so expensive, right? It's just like that with the Lord. You know, the timing is, is ready, you're waiting, and then boom, and then you're just staying in step with the Holy Spirit. It says right here, there's a time to be born and a time to die. And, you know, we hear this a lot that, you know, the so-and-so, my son Aaron was early or whatever, um, my daughter was late. No, they're, the kids are never late. God knows the exact day and time that they're to be born. The same is true of death. You know, we look at someone and they died young and we say, oh, their life was cut short. Listen, it's never cut short. You know, you go to the Olympics, you have some races that are longer than others. You have the, the sprints that are just as important. And so it's not necessarily their life was cut short, it's that their race was shorter, and each one has its purpose under the sun. The Bible says we are appointed once to die in Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 27. And so, you know, when I was coming tonight, I was thinking, Lord, bless your people with your word. And even with that truth right there, if there's anyone who may be missing a loved one, you know, and you're, you're thinking, I wish they would have lived longer or something, you know, we, of course, we're that, we're human, but it's so good to know that God has ordained all these things, that, that there's a time to be born, there, there is a time in God's calendar who's never late and never early and who's perfect in his timing to die. And so we find comfort in that. In verse 2, there's a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, you know? And generally speaking, I was looking up, I wish I knew more about farming, 
you know, but that was an agrarian culture back then. And for the most part, you're going to be planting in the spring and in the fall, you know, generally speaking, right? And, you know, in that, it's kind of cool. A successful farmer, Warren Wiersbe said, knows that nature works for him only if he works with nature. This is also the secret of a successful life. As you learn God's principles, we cooperate with them and we find success. And so there's a time to sow and there's a time to reap. You know, there's a time, it says, to kill and a time to heal. You know, and you're thinking, well, when, when could there ever be a time to kill? And I would say there's a time when, I don't know, I mean, if you're ever in that situation, you might have to defend your family. You might have to do that. There is a time for that. Or you might have to defend your nation as a soldier fighting for the right reason. We're going to see that later. There's a time for war, a time for peace. David knew that. Solomon knew that. David lived in a time of war. David knew that when Goliath went out there, that nine-foot soldier, and he defied the armies of the living God, that it was time for war when all the other guys were shaken in their boots. So there's a time for all these things. There's a time, it says in in verse 3, to to break down and a time to build up. I remember, to my shame, you know, we had, I don't know if you guys knew, we had these walls right here and, and we broke them down. You guys remember that? There's was a long time ago. And then we built another wall here. And then like I think a month later we broke it down. You know, and then we, uh, we opened up the sanctuary. And so it's a time, you know, you see these old buildings. The one over there on Valley Boulevard. And it was there forever. And they, one day they took it down. And then they built something new. That's what we see in life. There's a time for all these things. There's a time, it says in verse 4, to weep. And, and a time to laugh. And I like that, you know, because sometimes you hear from some guys, though, you can never cry. You better never cry. And God says, no, there is a time to weep. There really is. You know, those tears are liquid prayers and God keeps them in a bottle and they're all part of your healing. So it's okay to cry. I think it's healthy to cry. You know, Psalm 30 in verse 5, it says, weeping may endure for a night, but then joy comes in the morning, right? And so there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. And I don't know about you, but um, don't you guys like laughing? I love laughing. I mean, we're not always laughing. Then we probably wouldn't appreciate it as much. And we're not always weeping, although some people are maybe more, tend, they have a tendency to cry more easily. But there's just that life. This is our life. It's these variables that make life life. I was thinking about um, what type of medication does, do cats take to get better? The pur pill. Pur pill. See, that's a dorky joke, man. <laughs> but I thought since I'm wearing my purple sweater tonight, it would work. But, you know, I love it. There's some people that are so gifted at making others laugh. And if that's you, please keep doing that. Your sense of humor is a blessing. It really is, you know? So for us, looking at these things, there's a time that's appropriate, but then there's other times, obviously, where it's not appropriate. There's a time to to mourn and a time uh, to dance. Um, I think we can see there's a time to cast away. It says 
In verse 5, stones and a time to gather stones. And in those days, Israel was a very rocky nation. They still are. And so sometimes they had to move the stones out of the field in order to clear it. Sometimes the enemy armies would come in and put those stones back and they would have to move them around. Or even in the building of the temple, they had to go and gather all those stones. And so, you know, there's there's these things that we see and that are purposes. In verse 5, again, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And this is a tough one, huh? especially with COVID. Remember prior to COVID, we were always hugging each other, right? Especially, you know, what I, as a church, I know it's a little difficult with brothers and sisters and all the different dynamics that work with that, you know, but once COVID hit, you know, it's like, it's hard. You mean to tell me I can't hug you? I'm a very affectionate person. I love hugs, and so that's, that was very difficult for me. It was very, very challenging. Even today, though, as things begin to kind of get better, uh, for whatever reason, it just happens. You're not necessarily, you know, orchestrating it, but, you know, run into a couple of brothers, hey, is it okay to give you a hug, you know? I mean, so there's a, there's a time to, to do that. And then, you know, with the sisters, you know, I don't know how it all works. I don't know the exact details of it. But, you know, in church, we, we see the sisters, and, and maybe you'll give them a side hug, um, not, not a front hug. Sometimes it's just not appropriate. It just doesn't work right. Other times it does. And so it's kind of cool, even in looking at this, how the Holy Spirit, in, in, in detail, gives us all these things that, you know what, it's right right now, and, and it's wrong right now. It's kind of cool when you look at it. Uh, Verse 6, a time to gain and a time to lose. And this is talking about gaining weight and losing weight, right? (laughs) I'm just joking. Not really. It's a time to to search, a time to give up, a time, it says in verse 6, to keep and a time to throw away. And so how many of you hoarders can identify with that one? Right, and if it's been sitting in the box for four and a half years, and you don't even know what's in it until you open it up, you know what? Get rid of it. Right? There's a saying they have: "When in doubt, throw it out." Have you guys heard that one? And so sometimes you keep things. I mean, some things they they just clearly they clearly need to be kept because of some type of sentimental value or meaning. God will show you that, but for the most part. A lot of the things, I know my wife and I were getting older now, not to sound morbid or anything, but, you know, we're actually thinking, you know, the day may come where God might call us home and we, need, we don't want our kids to have to go through a whole bunch of stuff. No, we want to, yeah, and I've learned, and I think you guys know, huh, it's so much easier just to travel light, travel light. So there's things you keep, yeah, but for the most part, there's a, is a time to throw away, a time to tear, and, and a time to sow. And so sometimes you tear your clothes, the Jews would tear it in blasphemy or times of mourning. Uh, sometimes you tear your, 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 you know, your pants when you're playing football, and that's okay. You know? Maybe you've gotten a fight defending your sister, that's okay. It's a time that you tear clothes, a time that you mend, a time to keep silence. And a time to speak. Now that right there, oh man, if you can get that one right, this is one of the most important principles in all of life. 
You know, they say a word, it says in Proverbs 25, 1, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So when you say the right word at the right time, in the right way, it's just so cool. And sometimes you can say the right word at the wrong time, right? And that doesn't work. So you have to ask God for timing. And I was even thinking about Esther. You know, when she had been exalted to this place of prominence as a princess, even as the queen, and, you know, Mordecai is going back and forth with her and saying, hey, maybe the Lord puts you there for such a time as this. And if you read Esther chapter 4 and verse 4, it talks about that. Mordecai said, hey, if you keep silent, God's going to raise up some help from another avenue, but maybe it's time for you to speak. And so, you know, it's so cool to know that's how life is. Uh, A time, it says in verse 8, to love and a time to hate. And that one you might look and you're like, wait a minute, what are you talking about a time to hate? Well, I mean, not, you never hate people. Please do not misunderstand. And this is why it's so important for us to always understand the Bible in its context as a whole. We don't hate people, but we do hate, for example, in, in Exodus 18.21, it says that we are to uh, select men that hate covetousness. It says in Psalm 97.10 that you who love the Lord hate evil. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6, the Lord commended the church for hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And so some things, man, there has to be like a healthy hate, you know? And so there's a time to love, a time to hate. It's interesting, Jesus even spoke in John chapter 12 and verse 25 and Luke 14 verse 26 about the contrast between you know, loving the Lord and not necessarily loving ourself. Even he talks about hating others, but in the context there, he says that our love compared to the love that we have for them is not even comparable. So you might look at it that way as well. But there's a time, you know, for all these things, a time of war and a time of peace. And like I shared earlier, I think that there was a big distinction between David and Solomon. David fought the battles of the Lord. He did, clearly. It wasn't like, well, I wonder if we should. No, it was clear. Solomon, his name means peace. And so he had the reign of peace. And so, you know, uh, prayerfully, you guys, we're always looking at things according to not just time. Oh, it's been 20 years and I'm still not married or whatever. It's been this amount of time and that hasn't happened. It's not about time as much as it is about timing. And in God's timing and according to his purposes, it's just so cool to see the way that life works. And so we continue a little bit, I think, in time. Um, Look what it says in verse 9. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful, notice, in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. And so you're going to see this a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is like 
wondering about the work and the toil and the tilling of the land and all that kind of stuff that we have to do. And he's kind of like, what, what profit is it? And I think right here in this specific time, he says, you know, everything is perfect eventually in its time. Listen, everything you do has a little bit of eternity in it. Everything you say has a little bit of eternity in it. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. we go back there many times, it says that nothing you do in the Lord is in vain. And somehow it will impact eternity so many times. And so, you know, when we're wondering about our work, and yeah, it is difficult as a result of the fall, generally speaking, man's God-given task is to labor and toil and till the ground. Hard work is to be our occupation. And so no matter what you do, guys, even if you're, you know, working in an office, I pray that you would work hard. You know, some guys, they have to. They're digging holes. They're doing stuff. It's crazy, and that's okay. It's all part of our God-given occupation. You know, we sometimes wonder what profit is it all, especially if we're not making a profit. You know, maybe you're a businessman, and you're in the red, and times are tough. But even with that, this innate knowledge that we know deep, deep down inside, there's more than what we see here. There's more than meets the eye. Because God has placed eternity in our hearts and everything becomes beautiful in its time. You know, you take that seed and it looks so ugly and you put it in the ground and and you're thinking, man, what's the, the big deal? They say that these things are beautiful, but eventually over time. You know, and you're toiling in your faithfulness and you're pouring into your children and you know it doesn't look good and whatever. It's been 10 years, 20 years, 30 years and you're just still trying to do the right thing. You're still praying. You're still hoping. And then, boom, in its time, God moves the mountain. You know, and so for us, it's so cool to just keep working even though it's difficult at times. You know, it's almost as if, like I said earlier, eternity is in everything we do. And Jesus said, if you give a cup of of, of water to a child in my name, that impacts eternity. I will reward you forever for that. It might be a smile. It, It might be just a kind word. All those things impact eternity. You know, verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in his time, he has put eternity in their hearts. You know, we know because we're created in the image of God. But it's interesting how he says, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. You know, if we're honest, you know, we have to admit, you know, we kind of know where we are now, right? Okay, this is where I'm at right now. And we kind of know where we're going to be one day in heaven. We kind of know that. We don't know everything in between, huh? And that's the information we want. Lord, what are you going to do and how are you going to do it? And so the Lord says right here, that's what we struggle with, the stuff that is in between, the work that God does from beginning to end. Lord, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. And so first section is kind of like to do with lifetime. I'll just use, it, use the word lifetime. The second section has to do with a better life. And I'm not, I don't want to sound like old Joel Osteen or anything like that, but the Bible clearly says it in verse 12. Look what he says. 
I know that nothing is better, there's the word better, for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It's, it is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it, then men should fear before him. Now, this is interesting, really interesting. Four things, really, that he encourages us to do. Number one, to rejoice. To rejoice. You know, to, you know, look at the bright side. And like I said earlier, James chapter 1 and verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. If that's what it's going to take for me to finish the race that God has given to me, then bring it, Lord. You know, and you rejoice over those truths, right? That's the first thing he says, to, to rejoice. A lot of times, the outlook determines the outcome. How do you see this situation? How do you see this trial? The Lord says, rejoice. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says rejoice always. And Philippians chapter 4, in verse 4, it says rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. And again, I will say rejoice. And that's written from prison. That's written from a place where Paul was going through tremendous trials. He didn't even know for sure whether or not he was going to live or die. He didn't. But he wrote that epistle of joy. And so as you're going through life, you know, I don't know if you need to put it on your wall because there's only four things that he mentions right here for a better life. Number one, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice always. I know that's tough. The only way sometimes with the things that we're going through in life, there's only one way we could possibly do that. It's not by feelings. It's only by faith. Lord, I know that if you were to allow this much pain then I know there is great purpose. So number one, rejoice. Number two, do good. That's what he says right there. You know, nothing better for them to, than to rejoice and to do good. And, you know, that's kind of cool. Not just to have good intentions, but to do good, right? Jesus said in Luke six twenty seven, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good. To those who hate you. Luke 6.33, it kind of says the same thing. Luke 6.35, Jesus said, Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And so, you know, I'll tell you what. Well, it's not that complicated. You, you want to start enjoying this better life. I would encourage you by faith to rejoice, um, by faith to do good. And then by faith, it's kind of cool what he says, to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It's the gift of God. You know, and I've talked a little bit about this before, but I do believe that that, that whole time of eating and fellowshipping with your friends and with your family is this amazing. You know, and I, you can talk to my kids and, and we'll, we'll tell you, they'll tell you 
that that was that's probably one of the highlights for me i'm sure almost probably for every dad i mean like it's cool you know to do all the other things that we do but to be able to sit around the table with my wife and my kids and to have food and then maybe some friends over and to have fellowship and like i said before you really can't do that over yogurt I mean, you can try, but man, you got to have some food. You got to have some serious food. And there's something about that. God says, you worked hard. I'm not saying that it's all about that, but it is partially about that. It really is. You get together with your family. You get together with your friends. You eat, you drink. You know, and I'm not saying getting drunk. I'm just talking about that meal that you have together and you just enjoy each other's fellowship. This is a gift, he says. The fourth thing, these are gifts from God. You know, sometimes people have a weird mentality. They have a stoic mentality or an ascetic mentality that in order to be holy, you know, you got to have like a you know, great face and you can't smile, you can't laugh, and you can't grub. And that's, there's nothing from the, further than the truth. God says this is actually a gift from God. And the interesting thing that he says right here in verse 14, I think you can connect it. He says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. And I think what he's saying right there is these are the things that we will be doing forever. You know, I mean, time right now, unfortunately, we're busy. We're, we're doing a lot of other things. But in heaven, there's going to be a lot of that. A lot of us breaking bread together. We're going to have a, a meal with Jesus. And that probably won't just be one. It'll be over and over again. And, and all this is forever so that God would be feared. God, thank you so much. Not in, a, in, a, in this context, I think just more in a, in a reverenced way in an esteemed way and so we are to keep these things in mind notice what we read in verse 15 that which has already been and what is to be has already been and that god requires an account of what is past now we've talked about this solomon has kind of gone through it and you know here's a guy i think that was searching for something new when he had already experienced anything, you know, maybe travel, you know, bring something from some ship far away and no, there's really nothing new. You know, we talked about the fact that in, in many ways, uh, you know, whatever it is, it can be the phone and you're thinking, oh, that's a new invention. When in all reality, the, the heart of behind it is just communication or something like that. So it's not new, nothing new under the sun. But something new for people to realize that under the S-O-N is that one day they'll give an account. That's what you read in, in verse 15. And God requires an account of what is past. And so it is important for us to live our lives in light of that day. Do you ever think about that day? That day when we stand before Jesus and we give an account. And, that, and he talks about that. Look at verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. 
And so again, under the sun, Solomon saw, hey, there's a lot of injustices going on even in my land. He couldn't control every single judge. And so he basically says, one day God will judge the judges. And what we're, what we're learning is that God requires an account of what is past. Listen, no one gets away with anything. Either it's nailed to the cross or we find they're going to have to give an account for it to Jesus. You know, a couple of things maybe to write down. We will give an account. It's just interesting how he says right here, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. You know, the, the righteous will be judged at the Bema seat of Christ and our motives for the works that we've done. Uh, other things, I think, maybe to take into consideration. Uh, one that's kind of not clear, but I would encourage you just to tuck it in your heart just in case, is Matthew twelve thirty six, where it says every idle word, every single word. Now, I don't think that when you stand before Jesus one day, he's going to say, oh, Manny, I can't believe you said that. You know, I'm going to cast you into the pit. It doesn't work that way. But who knows? Manny, you shouldn't have said that because maybe it will affect my reward. I have to, when I read Matthew twelve thirty six, it brings me to a place of, I have to watch every word, every idle word I say. You know, when you read uh, texts like Luke 16 and verse 2, it says we're going to give an account of our stewardship. And so everybody's been given certain gifts and talents and opportunities. One day we'll give an account of that. It belongs to him, but it's been entrusted to us. Romans 14.12 says we'll give an account of ourselves. We see the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 5. Later we'll see in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 14 that we will give an account of every work, every secret thing. And so looking at our text today, we see a lifetime and then a better life and then a human life. And so the human life talks about how it gets hard. It gets hard. Look at verse 18. I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to them? See what happens when you eat animal style um, at in and out for what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals one thing befalls them as one dies so dies the other surely they all have one breath they they breathe the same air man has no advantage over animals for all is vanity all go to one place all are from the dust and all return to dust who knows the spirit of the sons of men which goes upward and the spirit of the animals which goes down to the earth and so when it comes to life, here's the thing, you guys, we do all have the potential to live animal style. And that's not a good thing. You know, apart from God, we're, we're carnal. He's the one who's given to us, you know, his image. We have the, you know, general uh, and special revelation. So as human beings, even before we're Christians, we have a conscience and it tells us what's right and wrong. That's different than the animals. As human beings, we have the special revelation, which is the word of God. When you become a Christian, you have this conviction. And so thank God for that. But apart from God, we can sear our conscience. And this is why you see some people live their lives like animals. 
And it's getting worse because we're living in a world that says you came from the animals. You know, they'll, they'll actually teach you that. That, you know, there was no who, there was just, you know, the goo and then the zoo and then you, right? That's what they tell you. They come from an animal, then you are an animal. And then, so what do they do? They study rats to, you know, determine how humans will behave, right? This is the world that we live in. And so now you have the rat race, right? And so um, apart from the Lord, apart from the Lord, killing, uncaring, I mean, just rampant sin. And it, and it is in every single one of us. Fury. I know, you guys, and I, I don't have to know you to know how depraved we all are. I know who I am apart from Christ. And if I didn't have the Holy Spirit, and if I didn't have the Word of God, I am capable of doing anything. Solomon here, he kind of sees that, right? He talks about that, how God tests us to reveal to us who we really are. And then he says, and, and one of the things about these beasts is that they, they die just like, just like people die, you know? And he kind of likens it, you know, meaning like it's the same thing, you know? Psalm forty nine twelve. Nevertheless, man, though in honor does not remain, he is like the beasts that that perish. We see the same thing in Psalm 49 and verse 20. And so there is that similarity. Solomon later will say that after we die, we go to heaven. After we die, we go before God. David, his father, knew that. Remember David said when his son died, you know, I will go one day and be with him. They knew. They didn't know as much as we know. But they knew there is a distinction. And so the spirit of man, it goes up and, and the animals down. And I don't know, I, I think there'll be animals in heaven, whether or not, you know, our pets will be there. That's the big question. The other day when I was reading through Balaam, remember how the donkey talked? The donkey was reasoning and rational and just all that. And I thought, Lord, I think there is going to be talking animals in heaven. But, you know, don't quote me on that. Because I could be wrong. Back to enjoyment. Look at verse 22. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? You know, and again, we know that, that, that Solomon here is, is kind of struggling, you know. I mean, I mean for us, the phrase nothing is better probably wouldn't be as accurate. Although it is a good thing, it is a gift from God, there are things that we would probably categorize as, as better. But, but when rejoicing in our works, uh, that's our heritage. You guys, you know, you work hard. You work hard. I want to encourage you to make sure that whatever you do, you do it with all your might. You work hard and God will bless. Because what we see right here is interesting. He's talking about, and he's kind of like, you can see Solomon not 100%, kind of thinking, well, I'm not really sure about what happens afterwards. Later, he kind of brings it up that he thinks it's eternal. And we talked about eternity in their hearts. So we see him kind of grappling with these things. 
But what we find right here is, you know, God shows us what will happen after. Who, who showed us what would happen after death? Jesus did, huh? He rose from the dead and he ate and he talked and he's coming again. You know, life is cool. Um, we can enjoy certain things about our work, but we have to understand we're not home yet. Look at verse 1 of chapter uh, 4. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed. But they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Now, this is heavy, right? Um, You know, you can look at this and just kind of like, you know, I'm not even going to acknowledge it, you know, because Solomon here was going through such a deep depression that he found himself in a place that said, I'd rather die better than that are those that have never existed okay so of course we know that he right here is being tripped up by the enemy but it is kind of helpful to know that there are many people who feel this way you know solomon was a man who had everything the world had to offer and he was empty inside you know maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking you know what if i can just get that that job, or maybe that raise, or maybe that spouse, or maybe that fame, or whatever it is that the world has to offer. I don't know that look. And and you're looking for all these different things, and you're thinking, you know, if you get them, that you're going to be satisfied. But then, you know, for Solomon, what happened is he got it all. He got everything. Imagine that. And it was just vanity to him, because At the end of the day, the only one that can fill the void inside of you is God. And we're not talking about like, you know, us having like a kind of, sort of, hit and miss every once in a while superficial relationship with him. We're talking about where you love him, where you love him, where you know he loves you. That will satisfy. But when we start looking at, you know, well, this is my agenda and God's got to do things my way. And if he doesn't do things my way, then, you know, what, what does that lead to? It leads to oppression. We see, generally speaking here, of the poor, but then the oppression of the enemy, which leads to the depression of self. And here's a guy, think about it, who doesn't want to live, who wish, in one sense, he was never born. You know, when I read this right here, I couldn't help but thinking of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You guys ever seen that movie? Anyone here never seen that movie? I'm just curious. If you haven't seen it, then you've got to see it tonight. No, I'm just joking. You have to see it because George Bailey, you know, he's going through difficult times and, you know, he had this certain plan for his life. He was going to get out of town and he was going to go and be successful and all this kind of stuff, but just one thing led to another and it kept him in this place. And so he's stuck in that job and next thing you know, 
uh, he comes to a place in his life where he basically says, you know what, I, I just want to die. And so he talks to God and he tells God that. And then what God does is God sends an angel. I think the angel's name was Clarence, if I remember correctly. And Clarence came and showed him, okay, George, we're going to show you what this place would be like if you had never been born. And you guys remember what a difference it was? What a difference he made. He didn't even realize it. What a difference he made in so many lives. You know, the next time the enemy tries to tell you that, you know what, no one needs you, no one loves you, it would be better if you weren't even born or here. Understand that God is using you. You're making a difference. This is where Solomon was, and I would acknowledge that there are many people, unfortunately, who are in that place. You know, God, right here, Solomon says, he's being oppressed and there's no one there to comfort. And yet we know the truth is that God hears our cries, that God is our comforter. Exodus 3, verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And so God did see their pain. And so we read in verse 4, again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. He ruins himself. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. And then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. And it's interesting, verse 4, envy as a menace. There you are, you're skilled and you're blessed and people are envious of you. Or in one sense, you might be motivated by envy. That can happen. It's a vain life, the waste of laziness and the quest we have for peace and quiet and tranquility which is a life that is free from disturbance and calm. And so, verse 8, there is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to all his labors, nor his eyes satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken." And so just little things, you guys, hopefully learning, you know, to work hard or or learning not to envy or not to be motivated by, you know, competitiveness or just even the blessing of peace and tranquility and quietness. And then here's something that I want you guys to encourage and I want to encourage you in and, and pray about. Make sure that you're not alone. You know, make sure that you have companionship. 
Now, for some, you know, we know it's about marriage, and that's when we go back to the beginning. We're talking about everything in God's timing and according to his will, so you don't go ahead of God on that. But in the meantime, you better have some friends. And in order to have friends, you have to be a friend. Two are, are better than one. The one who's all alone, they just keep going without finding meaning or purpose or substance to life. You know, they're not interested in all those things. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. There are some people who say, well, I'm a loner. You know, you're like a monk. And God says, no, you need to be among people. Even if you don't feel like it, you better do what you need to do to find some friends. There's a, a benefit to friendship and companionship. And so let me ask you today, who is your companion? Who is your friend? And we're going to talk about Jesus, okay? So that's sometimes for some people a cop-out. I'm not saying that in a bad sense. But you should have friends. We should have people. And of course, I know for some of you who are married, praise God for your spouse. I mean, they've got to be your best friend after Jesus. But, you know, who's your compa, right? There's a, a mutual reward you'll get when you have a friend, even when you're working, I will say this. Sometimes you get, you know, you're working, and some people say, well, that I work better alone. Well, maybe that's the case. I don't want to put God in a box. But I think when there's someone there, even if they're not the best helper, just their, their presence is a blessing, right? And there's more reward uh, for your labor, you know, if you fall down, then there's someone there to, to lift you up. I've heard many stories of older people living in homes all alone, and they fall, and there's literally no one there to lift them up. People get into situations like that. And that can happen not just physically, but it can happen spiritually. You know, the, when you're cold and, and life gets cold, you know, we know that that person keeps us warm and then there's that friend that we have to protect us when we're attacked and in most situations we find as there's strength in numbers you had another one there one two are better than one and then three are better than two and then we've always talked about the fact that jesus is that threefold cord never ever ever be broken and so, you know, you get, I don't know if you've ever been, you know, walking down the street and maybe in a neighborhood, like I always tell my, my, my wife, my daughter, never go out alone at night. I tell them that, you know, just something I think that we need to probably observe. But, but if you do go out, make sure you go out with people, right, that can protect you. And so there's a physical protection, but there's also the spiritual protection. And that's why it's important we pray, Lord, you know, help me to find a friend. Help me to be a friend. We close with verse 13 through 16. It says, Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. And there was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this is vanity and grasping for the wind. And so it, the last 
thing that he mentions right here is really interesting. I think ultimately what he's talking about is to be famous. Anyone, anyone here ever interested in being famous? Oh, I would love to be famous, right? What he's saying right here is, listen, you don't want to shoot for that. I mean, if God does something like a, with the Billy Graham, you know, praise God, but make sure you don't get caught up in how many likes or how famous you are because he uses the example of the old king and who's then comes to a place where he's not open to correction and, and then the new king comes and everyone loves the new king but then the day comes when the new king becomes the old king and then this, they, they don't love him, they don't rejoice in him and it's just this crazy, vicious experience in life when you're looking to be famous in the eyes of men. You know, and I don't want to sound like, you know, a cliche or anything, but the one that we have to just focus all of our attention on is not what do men think of me? Am I still popular? Am I still the favorite? No. What does God think of me, right? And that's where it's at, you guys. And so a lot of wisdom here Prayerfully, uh, the Lord will take some of the things and help us to move forward in whatever areas of our life. May he comfort you, especially with that one right there. You know, there's a time to be born. There's a time to die. And there's a lot in that verse, whether it be, you know, maybe the passing of a loved one that you're still having a hard time to accept or even your own passing. Lord, I know that day's coming. I know it's coming. And so help me to be ready. And so I know most of you here coming in on a Thursday night, I'm sure that you're, well, for the most part, you're all in right relationship with God, or most of you are. But if you're not, if there's anyone here who's not in that place of being in a right relationship with God, I pray you would know he brought you here tonight because he loves you and he wants to bless your life. And so as you say, yes, Jesus, come into my heart. Yes, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. You take a step forward today. I tell you what, a miracle can happen. God will meet you here tonight. If that's you, I pray that you would accept Christ.